Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You've heard this before, but we're new and improved now, and so is the Dunlap Champions Club. It's back for another year. You know that. By now, if you have not been in there, I don't know what you've been doing, but we will remind you, this is always the best time to test drive. If you want to check it out, we have the spring game coming up April 18th, followed by a concert. Good pricing to get in and see what you've been missing. A reserved chairback seat, access to indoor air-conditioned areas, always a good thing. All-inclusive food and soft drinks starting two hours before kickoff. Access, I love this part, to adult beverages and more. Funny that you would be the one to bring that up. Uh, the home schedule this year, obviously, when we get to the, the fall portion, uh, the, the meat of the actual football season, I guess I should say. Clemson and Florida are on the docket. Pitt coming to town for basically the first time since, uh, since KJ played. Well, I guess shortly after you, uh, should we say retired? Finished. I, I wish finished. That's good. Finished. Anyway, uh, as far as the spring game goes, again, 5 o'clock kick on April 18th. And if you're a, a booster member or already a, a ticket holder in the Dunlap Champions Club, it's just 60 bucks to get in for that, if not $80. But either way, particularly if you're general public and have not sampled the Dunlap Champions Club, it's the best way to do it. You Six, can schedule a private tour as well. So if you want to buy after seeing, you can go in, take a good look, walk around, see what's going on. It's a big place, 20,000 square feet of space. Uh, can handle up to 500 folks. If you've got other plans for other types of events that you want to schedule, it's worth the visit. 644-1830 is the number to call. Now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back together again. It's been a while since it we've has, been... It has. It has. I never get tired of that music. Is that... What does that mean? I don't know. It means your brain's only got capacity for a few things rattling around in there, and the Doobie Brothers is one of them that's we're, still left. We're 23 seconds into the show, and you're already cutting on me. I am. I am. Well, you always put it on a tee for me, so There's, I, that I is true. swing away. That is true. Keith, normally we look more forward, I think, than we do in the rearview mirror. And we need to do so. Fortunately, the basketball schedule works that way, that you don't get to sit around. You do play more games, and Florida State has a game on Saturday. But we can't just gloss over what happened Monday night at the Tucker Center. The individual play that was the Forest dunk and the collective 15-minute span to end the game are about as good as I can recall in Florida State history. That 15-minute span might be the best anybody's played this year. It's certainly the best this team has played this year, and I would uh, echo if it is not the best that's ever been in the Tucker Center. As they say, it's a member of the class, and it doesn't take long to call roll. The You were just sharing before we started that the forest dunk, that I, sticks out for you. You've been doing it 20 years, 19 years, whatever it 20 is. 20 years, and, and I've, I've been in a lot of basketball arenas. I've been in a lot of football stadiums. The most difficult football stadium that I've ever been in is Clemson. Uh, the sound, because they're, they're so close and there's so many of them, the sound is almost like a, a concussion or, or like a wave of, of air. And that's exactly how the Tucker Center felt after Forrest rammed that through. And I think what really excited and got folks over the top is they didn't realize at the time that that was Wara that was going up. Now, he's known as a scorer. He's the leading scorer in the, in the ACC. But I don't think anybody appreciated how big and strong and, and a defensive player he is. And for, for, for Trent to go up the way he did on him, uh, 
Uh, I'm not a big dunk guy. I don't look at the dunk contest and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, because that's you know, it's not you don't miss very many dunks. You know, that, I'm more impressed with a three point shot from 27 feet. But just the whole combination of that, once everybody realized it, everybody was on their feet, and the, and the Tucker Center was unlike anything I've ever witnessed or experienced. Well, to me, it was the crescendo that built over the last several minutes of game clock because you had come from behind, now you're ahead. It wasn't that Louisville was seesawing back and forth in the lead, but the game's outcome was still maybe a little bit in doubt. And the way the play set up, it really just looked like the defender had the angle. To me, it was more about Forrest than who it was. Looked like the defender had the angle. Trent was going to go up, but he's probably going to get hacked and just shoot two free throws. And Trent's the unassuming guy, not the in-your-face guy, not that he can't dunk. But when he went up and finished that way, it was game over. Louisville quit at that moment for the rest of the game. One of the things, it was that impressive. One of the things that you don't appreciate about Trent until you've been around him because his demeanor is such that he's, he's low-key, he doesn't shout, he doesn't uh, yell. You know, he, he leads more by example, although he is vocal, but he leads more by example. But to see him react to doing that and first of all to see him knowing what to do in that situation then doing it and then seeing him react to it don't ever underestimate the competitiveness of one Trent Forrest from Chipley Florida I think the biggest thing I've seen from this team over the last couple of weeks and you and I talked about it I wasn't sure there was a nastiness or a meanness to this team and I had chalked it up to Really, they're more young than not because you've got Trent and one other senior compared to the six guys that departed last year. But over the last two or three weeks, we've seen this from Trent. MJ, For despite the fact that he leaves every game with an injury and returns, <laughs> did win a game with 12 stitches in his mouth that were just inserted. And then the next game, when they were blowing out Pitt, still goes and defends and blocks a shot in a 20-point game where he didn't have to go end-to-end. There's just and got a, a technical for it. There's just a level. Yeah, as soon as he did that, I, I knew that that was – I know. Was Gene was looking at me. What did he do? What did he, oh, that's not – that's just like the throat slash yeah. in football. You do a throat but, slash in football, there's going to be a penalty. The point is I, have, I didn't think this team had that edge. I thought some guys did, but now I've seen it. Well, if you've watched Osborne, he is very vocal. If you watch Alinichuk, he he's got a little bit of you know we used to say that about old Chris Kramaji. You know, Chris seven foot four, about as big around as a pencil. Chris getting your face over anything. And Alinichuk's got a little bit of that. And, you know, Williams, you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed him, but he, he is a grown man. I mean, he he looks more like a tight end once you get to looking at him. And yeah, there's a number of people on this team. Uh Wyatt Wilkes. Wyatt Wilkes is a competitor. And uh, I think all of that is going to be needed, and all of that is coming out. Now, you've got to control it. You've got to contain it. We can't have the technicals like MJ got. But, yeah, there's got to be a little streak if you're going to be well, competitive once you get into the tournament. Well, I've seen it. And maybe it goes back to, you know, when this team has had a chance to step on somebody's throat. We haven't necessarily seen that, and they've started games slowly. So it's felt like a where is the sense of urgency, or, and maybe that's just the way it's going to be because they win by just strangling you, by wearing you out, by running so many bodies at you. And so they're not going to win the first five minutes of a game, but they're damn sure going to come back and win the last five minutes, and, and, and we've seen that time and again. It was, it was just – so They, they outscored Louisville. Let me ask you this. 50 to 27. Think about that. 
Oh, I know. It was, it was absurd. 27 in the second half. Where do you – so my basketball memory for Florida State really goes back to the late 80s when I arrived in school. So I saw George McLeod a little bit. Uh, certainly saw the early 90s with the, you know, the Sura, Cassell, Ward, Doug, you know, Dobard and Edwards teams and all that. But for me, so what is that, 30 years? I can't speak to Dave Cowens. I can't speak to the team that went to the Final Four, the Hugh Durham era when he played, not just coached. But that Trent Forrest dunk goes on my short list of all-time favorite FSU plays, period, in, basket, just, it, in basketball. It, it just replaced, bless his heart, it just replaced Byron Wells' three-pointer versus Well, so Duke. that's what else is on your <laughs> list on that? Uh, well, my, my second all-time play, now third, uh, is a play you wouldn't think about. Well, we were down in Miami, and Al Thornton had the opportunity to set the all-time scoring record and, and was a snowbird, and the ball was thrown to him, and he almost went up for the shot, but instead he just put the ball down on the ground and left it. Really? He just walked away from the record, literally. That is an all-time play for me. That's the character and quality that Al Thornton had. Well, um, so uh, I'm glad you brought that up, but let's talk about plays. It doesn't have to be a game winner, but to me, like Trent Force, that's not a buzzer beater, but he called game. Right. Well, and, and Byron's was. I think about Davidus Dulkies with his seven made threes in, in the Dean Dome. Uh, that would stand out. Um, I probably need to give a little more thought to it, but those are the ones that come to immediate so, so, memory. So the ones that came to mind for me, and I was tweeting about this the other night, was uh, Charlie Ward took a shot in the 91 Metro Championship game, which was against Louisville, might have been in Louisville, like 30 seconds left, and it was a 25-footer beat the shot clock, tight game. It's like, what are you doing? No, 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 no. And then he swishes it, you know, and that won the Metro title in FSU's last year there. Uh Byron Wells, that was 93. That was their first win over Duke, I guess. And then Michael Snare when FSU won at Cameron and hit that, about the that one, yeah, so that one. Or, or his one at Florida also. Of course, he had like two others that same year. Yeah, we beat Florida steady though now. So those don't – I mean, <laughs> that's just – like I filed, Put that to the archive reel, Mr. Lang. I file taxes every year and we beat Florida every year in hoops. So that Wow. One, but anyway, and Forrest Dunk is – is right there with – I know there's been other big plays, you know, obviously. We're, I'm missing something from when they won an ACC championship in 2012 and nothing's resonating in that particular game, but certainly there's something from that game too. But it's just it's – it's the very short list. And I think the biggest reason you and I and others um, would gravitate to Trent is just the way he's comported himself in the four years that he's been here. You know, he, he holds a distinction. I know you know this. Our listeners might not. But he's been on teams that have won more games than any other player in the history of FSU. Now, and when he leaves here, as long as they go a little bit in the tournament, he will have played in more games than anyone who's ever attended FSU and played basketball. Obviously, the schedule changed. The four-for-ones that you could do now when you used yeah. to only have 27 regular season games. I get all that. But he will leave here in many respects as the most decorated player, and he's only – uh, probably 15 steals away from taking the all-time steal lead from ch one Charlie Ward. So he he will be as decorated as anybody who leaves here when it's done, and I think that also is a reason why we'll look at that play, even though it wasn't a game-ending play or a game-winning play, as being something very dramatic. You know what else has happened over the last couple of weeks? And then we'll go to break and we'll get our uh, Osceola insider in here been a lot of talk about Patrick Williams who now you can book him for double figures and everybody knows the NBA's looking and we've figured out that nothing looks like he's exerting effort because he's just chiseled and an athlete and all that 
but Raquan Evans has become very key. We've talked about this. If he doesn't miss the six weeks he missed in preseason, this might have happened six weeks earlier. But it's it's huge because you can rest Trent for longer periods, which we saw. And, uh, you know, so we, we've talked a lot about, you know, Wilkes has had his games where he's hit shots and Polite has been a pleasant surprise. And a lot about Patrick Williams emerging, and all of a sudden MJ has taken another step forward. Don't, don't neglect Osborne. I mean, but he has been steady Osborne, as can be. But I feel like Evans is just kind of an afterthought in there. But it's not insignificant what he's doing. Not right at now. all, and it bodes well for next year and the year after that. In that you're not sitting back fretting. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do when Trent leaves? Uh, Devin Vassell, you left out, and, and, and you know he's been on a little bit of a downward thing. Um, uh, you know, he was held out for a game. I do. I personally do not believe he was injured. I don't believe that he violated a team rule. I think it was something personal uh, that uh, you know they judged was best for him to t- you know take a little time off. He's been a little slow coming back, but we know what he can do. Look at Virginia Tech. I mean, it's it's a pretty talented team. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're we're jumping on the uh, oh, camp. We're jumping fun. on the Cameron train, but uh, the pieces and the parts are such that there's reason for optimism. Yeah. One thing we haven't talked about is that uh, Bill Murray is an avid listener to Front Row Knowles, which is how he knew to head to College Town and check out Township. We mentioned it a couple weeks ago, and he thought, you know, when I'm in town, I'm just going to head over to Township. And he took our advice on the blue hat, too. Well, that came from you. But anyway, uh, if you have not headed to Township, I mean, good Lord, Bill Murray was just there. What are you doing? Get out there this weekend. Pay it a visit. Stop over at Madso. Go to Some Central. Get story. Some- I'm going to go to break before Keith fires up more on that, and we'll continue on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, has joined us. And I tell you what, the Earl Bacon Agency hotline has never sounded so pristine, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together, because Bob is uh, is right here in the studio, just in full disclosure. Good to see our Osceola insider. Invite you to uh, give it a test drive. Check it out uh, online. Subscribe, whether it's uh, monthly or annually. Guys have been busy. There's good good news to report these days. Uh, basketball, all of a sudden, is uh, creating lots of clicks and lots of buzz and lots of excitement. So where does Monday night rank for you? You've been around these parts for a while, Bob. I think for one half of basketball, that was about as good as we've seen. I mean, the Michael Snare buzzer beaters throughout the year gave us those kind of individual memorable moments. But as far as just a game with sustained 20 minutes of excellence, that second half was pretty incredible. I looked up at the clock. There was 11 minutes to go, and I thought, can this crowd keep it going? I mean, this crowd is really, really fired up, and they just they were intense all night. I honestly think they kind of willed this team to win. It was, it was impressive. I mean, it's not going to be a night that any of us are going to soon forget. So Keith and I went over where it ranks and had a lot of basketball conversation, but I want to I move that forward to this, and I pose this question to Tom Lane because we're gonna, the calendar is going to turn to March here. And we all know the way basketball works. March Madness is great, but as the old saying goes, there's only one team at the end that's going to go home happy. So would you take, win out, regular season title in the ACC, ACC tournament championship, but 
you know, you just kind of skid in the NCAA, whether that's second round or you just don't make the Final Four? Or would you say, eh, I'm, I'm okay if we even finish behind Louisville and Duke in the regular season, and who cares if we make the championship game, but get me a Final Four? Where are you on that? I, I think this team has its sights set on the Final Four, and honestly with the road being through Tampa, first round, second round, where you can have a ton of Florida State fans from Orlando, from the Bay Area, from South Florida, from everywhere. It's an easy place to get in and out of. It's spring break at the beach and watch some basketball. So you kind of feel like there's a good roadmap to get you as a two-seed to the Sweet 16, right? And then from there, yeah, I mean, it could be Los Angeles. It could be elsewhere. But this feels like a team that has the depth to make a run all the way to the Final Four, mostly because you don't want to play Florida State as that second game on a weekend because when everybody's got, you know, they got to figure out the matchups and how how rested are we, how healthy are we? Well, Florida State's got insane depth where they can win that Saturday game or that Sunday game just because you never know who they're going to roll out who they see as a matchup advantage. Um, I mean, we haven't seen a ton of Wyatt Wilkes lately, but we've seen just all these pieces coming together, and it's just like whoever the coaches throw out, it, it's been the right decision. It's been kind of amazing how the players have all kind of collectively stepped up. That's the one thing about this squad, and again, having traveled with them for 20 years, this is a cohesive a group off of the court that I've ever seen. Normally, normally there's some clicks or there's one or two guys that you really appreciate their talent and they work hard on the court, but they're a little aloof or different off of the court. There's neither of those that I can see in this group. So the answer is Final Four. That's where I am on it. KJ, I, I see you nodding your head. Well, you know, and we were talking about that between the break. Um, you know, it might be um, somewhat important for Florida State to stub their toe somewhere along the way before they get into the tournament so that you just get a one last little prick and reminder of what it's like to lose. Because you get on that momentum, you get on that train, as they say, and sometimes you lose sight of, of what got you there. You get a little too big for your britches. I don't. I think this team is less likely to do that than, than others, but that can always happen, particularly as young as they still are. In the ACC tournament, Keith, out of curiosity, is, and well, and you, you go around wherever Florida State plays, but is this a team that the rest of the attendees at the conference tourney will pull for if they're not playing? Well, you, remember, you've got Duke fans and everybody else that hates Duke. Carolina's had a horrible year. Virginia, the defending champion, they've gotten better, but, 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 I but get, Florida State can hang with them. The answer, answer is will there be Wake, NC State, Syracuse, BC fans there, and if they are, yes, they will pull for Florida State. The big four or, or, around Tobacco Road will probably hold their own, and of course everybody hates Duke. I, I guess here's really the deeper thing. I've found it uh, incredibly enjoyable over the last couple of games to listen to NC State fans bitch about how FSU gets all the calls and listen to Louisville fans bitch about FSU gets all the calls. And I'm thinking, if the ACC thinks that Florida State gets all the calls, we have officially arrived in men's basketball. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just been pleasant. I mean, it was comical that the NC State coach went on that rant. Let me foul intentionally eight times over the last two minutes. Ten times, by the way. Ten times. Then Ten com- free throws in the last 50 seconds. Right, and then and complain the that they were, shot too many free throws. The, the free throws were 29 yeah. to 17. So you take 10 away from not 29, and you get 19. And, oh, by the way, he got a technical. That was two more. So they were actually 17 to 17. And the first half, it was completely one-sided. It favorite. was not 10 to 3. Ten fouls on Florida State, three on 
NC State. So I, I didn't really want to go down this whole road, but you know, in the women's game, they switched to quarters a few years ago, and one of the things that it does is you never get to a 10 foul count because at five fouls in the quarter, the team shoot. Well, at that point, there's three minutes left in the quarter, and so it's easy for the officials to sort of reset the counter, so to speak, and then start the second quarter. It never gets as out of whack as what you see in men's. Now, that's not the reason they went to quarters. I just wonder if the men will ever do it. I think the reason they haven't is TV breaks is is the answer. It's always money. But uh, it just kind of mystifies me that men's college basketball remains the only level of basketball where they don't play quarters. Has that conversation come up at all? It's just dead. I've not, not heard anything about it. Yeah, it's been it. a couple years since the women moved. The other thing it does, and then we'll, we'll move this conversation, it gives you more endgame situations because instead of just a buzzer beater at each half, you get it four times a game. And it aligns you with the way international ball is played. But, so obviously you can see which way I lean on that one. Add that to the Tom Block, when I'm king, I will change this list. It's not high on the list because the men's game is okay, but I don't know a reason to just stick with what the men's game is other than that's why they've always done it that way. All right, so, uh, Bob, on the women's side of the fence, the women's team has, has uh, had a tough – you know, it's been a tough conference season for them given that they set the all-time record for the best start in school history. Do you think they're going to finish in the top four in the league? they got two games to go tomorrow night and Sunday, which would get a double bye. And do you think there's still a scenario where they can host first and second round, or has that ship sailed? I think the only scenario is if you win the whole ACC conference tournament. At this point, no, I think that ship has sailed – you know, you've just lost too many games against teams that are maybe not ranked, but they're very, very good teams. Like being swept to Georgia Tech, you know, Syracuse, um, NC State was a top 10 team when they lost. Those are respectable losses, but it kind of brings your resume down. I had thought all along, you know, Florida State gets to 25 wins and 10 conference wins before the committee has to sit down. I thought, well, that's enough. But as it turns out, there's a lot of quality teams around women's college basketball. It's not so much what Florida State's done. It's that other teams around the nation have done just a little bit better. So I think Florida State's got a long road ahead. They're going to be on the road in the first and second round. That's kind of an unfamiliar spot for Sue Semra. They've got uh, Clemson tomorrow, Notre Dame Sunday, both of them at home. So uh, still a likelihood they'll finish 23-6, and 12-6 and six in the league, get a top four seed and a double bye. But as you said, perhaps have to go on the road for the full tournament. Okay, disclosure, I've only been to – one FSU baseball game this year, and I went this past Saturday. And in the first two innings, Bob, this is what I saw. I saw two errors at short. I saw uh, Reese miss a cutoff man, which allowed a runner to take second base. I saw a pass ball, which allowed a run to score. I saw a drop pop-up and about six other fundamental errors, including the fact that at third base, Florida State can't pick up the baseball. So, Other than that. Now, I know they can pitch. And I know hitting is going to be a struggle. Sometimes they're going to get the timely hits, and sometimes they're, they're not. But please tell me there's some answers there to solve those other issues because that's going to be the difference in, in several games this year. I think the pleasant surprise has been the bullpen. I didn't think the bullpen was going to be this deep and this good. I am really concerned about any hard-hit ball to the left side of the infield because it just feels like you are going, ooh, I don't know. And it doesn't seem like there is a great answer at third base. And I think Nander is the only answer at shortstop. So you just have to hope that through repetitive practice that these guys just get the experience and it gets better. Is it going to? That's the big storyline because if your defense lets you down, then the other team's getting a fourth out and it puts your pitching staff up against the wall. Especially this weekend coming up, you've got four weekend games, not just three. So you're juggling the rotation even with the rain out Tuesday. 
now you've got to work that pitching staff as far as who's going to start when, how do you manage the bullpen because you got a doubleheader on Saturday, a really long day that could be taxing if if your defense lets that pitching staff down. I really like that format, though. I, don't, I know you don't want to do it every weekend, but bringing in two teams, playing That's what around I was robin ask. three teams, I really like that. I, I don't know who's, does Mick get credit for that idea because I, 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 I like it. I think when he was on the show, he said Texas Tech was open to it. Uh, you know, we've seen FSU play four games over a weekend, but normally it's like commencement weekend and they're playing Grambling State and they're just adding another win to the total. But to actually get two opponents in there the same weekend and, uh, in FAU and Texas Tech, it's a cool idea. Yeah, Meet had said that Fort Atlantic was on the schedule for three games and Tim Tadlock from Texas Tech called and, and said, hey, you know, what do you think about uh, let's, let's get over there and play? And and Meet didn't have an opening in the schedule. So then Tadlock suggested this whole kind of round-robin format and let's, let's play kind of an old-school weekend of, of college baseball. And, and Meet was like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And um, so I think it is great. It's great for fans. It's great for fans to see just you know, two programs in one weekend. I think, I think it's really going to be some entertaining baseball, but it's also very challenging too. It is certainly very, very challenging, especially with what Texas Tech has become over the last several years. We are talking with our uh, Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. You can uh, check it out online at theosceola.com. Seven-day free trial or subscribe for six ninety-five monthly or seventy-four ninety-five annually. Bob, I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that uh, here at this station, you know, Jeff Cameron's going to be the golf expert. He hosts the show with with Trey and and all that. Uh, so I can't claim we we have had John Pack on here before. I can't claim that I've gone out and watched him play, but he he's in the territory now of potentially the best, at least the best collegiate Florida State career, isn't he? I mean, I don't know if we can say best Florida State golf forever, given that Kepka's out there. But what he's doing while he's here is off the charts. He he's been really incredible, and I think just winning back to back tournaments between Mobile and then last weekend over at Golden Eagle, he's a guy who really wanted the uh, the collegiate experience. He kind of fell in love with Florida State and Trey Jones and everything that the school, not just golf, had to offer. He was really falling in love with Florida State. I thought it was interesting to talk with uh, Patrick Burnham last week for a story that we're doing. And and Patrick asked him, you know, do you have PGA Tour aspirations? Would you would you consider leaving after your junior year if things play out? And John said, no, no, I, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. I want to be a collegiate golfer. I want to graduate. I enjoy playing with my teammates and being part of the student body. So this is, this is a guy who's um, – Maybe not looking so quickly to jump into the pro ranks, even though he he very much probably could. Now, the, the, hey, the school hey, Keith, make a note real quick. Uh, schedule lunch with Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams, and John Pack, if you would, so that John can just have a conversation with those two about. Duly noted. I'll put that. Okay. In. All right. Now go ahead. Now, the school record for individual tournament titles is eight, and and Pack's got seven. Will he break it? I mean, that that's kind of a silly question, but will he? Yeah, I think he's got plenty of time. I mean, I don't know. He, he he claims that his short game has been really, really good lately. So if your short game is good, you can win on almost any course, right? But given the amount of time that he has, I mean, a season and a half to go, sure, why not? I mean, Nolan hanky has got eight. He's got seven. I think realistically he's going to – he could go as high as he realistically wants. Wow. That's impressive. Switching gears, there was a sports analytics – conference this week that the FSU College of Business put together. And Coach Norvell was there, Coach Kerkorian, Coach Bowden. So as a starting point, I don't know if you attended, but I'm wondering what part of the analytics discussion Coach Bowden contributed to. Coach Bowden and Mark Kerkorian held a nice little one-on-one where I think uh, Coach Kerkorian did a good job of interviewing and trying to get some 
you know, 1970s, 80s style analytics out of, out of Coach Bowden. Um, I have to tell you, I thought it was an intriguing conversation with a lot of people from uh, from the Tampa Bay Lightning, from Florida State soccer. Some of the things that athletics is doing as far as, you know, using virtual reality, using various technology to train how to jump, how to better jump and, and land. It's, it's It sounds a little bit crazy, but all kinds of neat stuff. Um, Coach Norvell talked at length about analytics and virtual reality that he's using. Um, and Coach even put out something kind of wild from an analytics standpoint about you know when to go for two and when to go for one. And he suggests that if you're down 14 and you get a touchdown, that you better go for two. His theory is about 50% of the teams are going to make that two-point play. And then you've got a shot to go for the win on your second touchdown if your defense holds between. He thinks you go for two. So this is a go-for-two coach, and it kind of goes against the analytics that might say, hey, down 14, touchdown, go for one. So I, I think he likes playing with the numbers and the analytics too. So, so that would suggest that his fourth down math and going for it and doing those things, he's going to be on the progressive side. Go for the win, not go for the tie is kind of his mantra in that regard. Well, the other thing I read that I found interesting is he has another. He has three charts. One of them is the when to go for one, when to go for two. One is your regular chart, which you have plays for down and distance. And then he has a timing chart about field position and time left on the clock in terms of what your focus should be. I've not heard of that. I haven't seen that. That'll be interesting to look at. By the way, you, you, we make fun of Coach Bowden because of his age and his tenure and that type of thing when he got to Florida State. But we had a lot of computer readouts given to us when I was playing ball that were statistically done with cards and things like that that talked about down and distance and tendencies. So 40 years ago, Coach Bowden might not have been intimately involved, but but his program was using analytics, analytics if, if nothing else, in a very rudimentary type of way. Bob, good stuff as always. Appreciate what you do. Thanks for having me. He is our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. We will uh, move the conversation along Florida State uh, well, this is a star that you may not be familiar with, but uh, you should be. A nine-time All-American. I don't know how frequently uh, you can attach nine. How many times were you an All-American? Just two. Just two, which is two more than me. So collectively, Bob, what about you? Big zero. Big zero. So collectively, we've combined for uh, two All-American honors, but our next guest uh, has done it nine times. Uh, that's coming up on Front Row Knowles. I was driving. Trees went back. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you once more as we reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. We're going to talk some Florida State track and field. FSU has a, a long heritage, a great history, both on the men's and women's side. And uh, we've got an athlete right now, a student athlete who joins us, who is uh, making her own, uh, creating her own legend, I guess, over the last couple of years. Katia Seymour from the women's track and field team joins us. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am I am great. So uh, you can cover yours for this portion, but for our listeners' sake, I'm just going to read the bullet points here in terms of some accolades to set this up. So uh, <laughs> KT is a junior from Palatka, but she's – so in the previous two, the only two ACC indoor championships during her career, she's been the uh, the meet MVP both times, 
And she's also been the, the MVP of the outdoor meet. So three of the four ACC championship meets she's competed in. What a slacker. She's, she's been the, the, the meet MVP, a nine-time All-American, uh, a sprinter. Uh, you know, I'm really – I'm not doing you full justice here. Is there anything else you'd like to add on your behalf? And then we'll get into the interview. No, congratulations. Um, <laughs> plays the saxophone of what, the drums, what, what sings I, in the choir. Yeah, what did I miss? Drives the team um, bus. Two, two, I have two school records, actually. Two school records. There you go, and <laughs> and and probably going to set several more before before your career finishes. So, yes. Uh, when did you begin your sprinting career? What age? Around eighth grade. I'm not really sure how old I was around that time. At least probably thirteen, fourteen. Uh, eighth grade started running. Figured I was good at it, so I continued to do it, and look what happened now. <laughs> Well, you've you've had great success, and so the indoor championships. I mean, Florida State competes in them. Obviously, you're, you guys are at Notre Dame this weekend, and the weather outside is frightful. But you're inside. Um, I guess as a starting point, does it hamper what you're trying to do at all? The fact that Florida State doesn't have an indoor facility? Uh, not really. Track is mostly an outdoor sport, so indoor is just like a little prep for getting ready for the outdoors. Just seeing if you're healthy, seeing if you're going to be running a fast time when it's time when a time it actually matters for outdoor nationals or the Olympics and things like that. So it's just a little crank up to start the outdoor season. You are the number one seed in the 200 and the number four seed in the 60 for this race. I think you've only run the 60 once now, now outdoor outdoor would be the 100 and the 200. So I guess everything's just magnified more in the 60 in terms of the start, but uh, you you know, is is there much of a difference in what you're doing in the 60 compared to the 100? Oh, completely different. Uh, the 60 is super short, so therefore you have to be extra accurate or critical with everything you do from the start to the finish. In the 100, you have more time, so you're able to at least make up for the mistakes that you've made. In the 60, you can't really make a mistake. It's get after it as soon as you get out the block. So I'm more of a 100-meter girl, but I, lo- I enjoy doing the 60 because I'm talented at it as well. Katia, how do you prepare for the turns, the curves, the difference in the 200 outdoor versus the 200 indoor? Oh, today, actually, we just finished practicing, so the 200 is super different. Like, uh, coming off the curve is is super tight, so it kind of slings you around, and it's, it's just completely different from what we're used to. You know, you're not going up a hill... But, like, the fact that you're running, like, an actual 200-meter, like, how it feels in the outdoor track, but super tighter than ever. Like, it, it was just completely different today. And for those of our listeners that may never paid attention, those those curves are banked as well. They are not flat, correct? Right. Indoor. Right. What – how does uh, – I'm looking at the, the notes here, and uh, I know you have teammate Jayla Kirkland that uh, you guys compete on a daily basis, so I'd imagine there's a lot of pushing one another there, even though, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're fighting for the same first-place finish when it comes meet time. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's fun having a partner that's – a training partner that's basically the same, as talented as you are and do the same events because it pushes you more and it helps you motivate each other but I I know it's definitely like going after the same title, but it, it helps because we both know what we want and we both push each other to get that goal. Now, one of the things we ask student-athletes that uh, appear on our show, so you're going to get the standard Front Row Knowles question, is what brought you to Florida State? How did you get to Tallahassee? Uh, 
I just grew up loving Florida State. Florida State, the tradition, everything, the campus, the love that everybody has for one another. It's just it just felt like a family as soon as I got on campus and I just always wanted to be a no so coming here i just knew it was the right choice well i, I grew up in the thriving Petro, uh, petropolis of uh, wildwood florida which is down in the central part of the state now you're from palatka yeah. correct right i think <laughs> i think they're sister cities i'm not sure but i <laughs> so we've got that going for us what are, what are you studying uh at fsu sports management okay cool mr block has a uh, master's in that by the way Yes, <laughs> Which, that is true, but it doesn't make me an expert. Trust me. Uh, I, I'm curious for the for the casual track and field fan, which would be Keith and I and a, and a lot of folks. It's a natural tendency to pay more attention in an Olympic year, which which we're in. So right. as as an athlete, is it is it different? Are the you know is, is it different for you as well? And and I realize, especially when I'm I'm assuming you aspire to the Olympics, that it that it could be because maybe that's in your immediate future or, or certainly in your future plans. Correct. This year is mostly about tuning up, getting ready, because everyone has the same goal: trying to go to the trials and make that team. So, I mean, it's going to be a great year. Everybody usually pays attention to around this time because. This is what really matters. This is what our goal is. This is how we get these professional contracts, et cetera. We're talking with Katia Seymour, who's a star on the Florida State uh, women's track and field team. You've got a new uh, assistant coach, I guess, that works with you, or sprint coach at uh, Florida State this year, and hurdles coach, too, if I'm not mistaken, and Matt Kane. What has he brought to the table, or you know, what, what's been different maybe as, as he's in his first year? He's definitely brought a lot to the table. I mean, he's taught me so much that I – didn't know before he's helped me get stronger and better and powerful he's teaching me as along as as I go because I also aspire to be a track and field coach so I'm just learning everything from him from hurdles to actual sprint and from 400 to 800 just getting to know everything he's brought a lot to the table and so far our performances have basically shown that we we we've we've got the right coach Give us a thumbnail of the women's team overall. Uh, you know, if somebody hasn't been to an FSU track meet, I mean, what's a thumbnail on 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 this year's team? Uh, so far, our team is steady. We uh, have to all stay healthy. Honestly, the if the more the healthier, the better. We can do some damage, but we all have to make sure we're all focused on the same goal and stay healthy to accomplish that goal. I'll let you uh, go on this question, and I, I don't even know if you're aware of this, but we introduced you as a as a two-time MVP of the women's meet. There's never been a three-time women's MVP for on the ACC <laughs> side, so now I don't know if that's if that's new news or not. Um, so I, I know that's not the overall goal, but uh, and matter of fact, on the men's side, it's only happened once t- one time, and that was Maurice Mitchell, who was a sprinter at FSU. So the point being, it's a pretty short list uh, that would actually double in size if you can do it this weekend. So I'm, right, I'm right. not trying to add pressure, but I'm, maybe I'm I'm dangling motivation oh, I, for I you. I am. I have an expectation there. <laughs> it's not much pressure, but I believe I I believe I have a chance of doing it. I believe I can do it. So therefore. I'm going to go out with my best abilities and, you know, try to accomplish that. I All I need is about 25 points, 28 points to win MVP. So hopefully I can win the double and go out there in the 4x4 four four and do some more damage. Well, with history as our guide, uh, it would appear that you certainly can do it. We wish you best of luck this weekend. Thanks for a few minutes of your time and have a great meet. Thank you. Go Knowles. Go Knowles. That is KTS Seymour, a junior from Palatka. 
Uh, yeah, she's done it twice, so why not do it a third uh, time? Doesn't lack for confidence, and that's a great thing. You know, all, all I need is 25 to 28 points. She's figured it out. So to, to skim that down, each event in track and field, if you win it, you get 10 points. So she's basically saying, I'm going to win the 200, that's 10 points, and I'm going to finish, uh, maybe you know, maybe I win the 60, that's another 10 points. Or at least second, I'll get Yeah, so then, then our relay team needs to finish second or third. So, yeah, I can do the track MVP thing again. NBD, no big deal. Yep. More power to her, and we appreciate her uh, joining us. All right, we'll take a break, come back, wrap things up. Still uh, plenty to discuss. In the, uh, We're still basking in the glow of the hoops uh, victory the other night, and we don't play again until Saturday, so we might as well just ride it out. We'll do another segment and probably talk about that after there the you go. Runnels. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. We've got about 10 minutes to go. Tom and KJ with you. Thanks to KTSC Seymour for joining us. Bob Ferrante as well. We'll do what we always do in the last segment, clean things up, see what we missed. Maybe go back and talk about Trent Forrest dunk some more. Anything else you want to add to Monday night's game? I don't think we've covered game? enough, have we? Uh, Otto Petty was in town. Okay. Who was the uh, starting point guard for the 72 national runner-up. He was sitting down to the right of Gene and I along with Hugh Durham and uh, Larry Strom and some others. And, and I, I had not had the opportunity to meet Mr. Petty, and, but heard about him forever. And uh, that was – he's short. He was one of the very few in the beginning of the short point guards – that uh, could just really distribute the basketball. So Hoops has Clemson this week, then at Notre Dame, and then Boston College. Correct. So going back to where we were discussing things previously, the thought of winning out and beating Boston College at home to to seal a number one seed and regular season title, not that there is such a thing, but we can hang a damn banner if we want to, uh, that's pretty good. Florida State's never won the regular season title in, in the ACC, that's for sure, and only won one conference championship so if you could pull the 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 the, that's not a trifecta what is that when you do two things whatever that is Um, well i was going to suggest we want the thing is well now we we do need the trifecta because we need the national championships that's what i mean regular season conference everybody's going to say yeah let's do all three and check all three boxes but I'm still on the if you're if you're only getting one out of the three, I want the final four, and I'll take wherever it is on the regular season standings and whatever happens at the conference tournament. You know, I think the reality is if we if we peel back and are very honest with ourselves, that the expectation is that this team will make the final four. I don't, I don't think anybody has the expectation that we're going to win it all, but I do think there is reasonableness to an expectation that this squad should make the Final Four and maybe disappoint them. you talking about from the don't. team or are you talking about the fan base? From the fan base. From the, oh, fan yeah, base. the fan base has got them cutting down the nets in Atlanta right now. Well, that that might be a stretch, but um, this this is a uniquely talented and a team that has some real interesting parts compared to anything else Leonard's had in his 18 years here at Florida State. Yeah, well, there's the parts. They continue to get more talented collectively one to 18 or however much and the 18 strong 18 strong the point you've made about how they get along as well as any of the groups i think you know going back to trent trent gets a lot of credit for that because he is 
the guy I've heard Irish O'Fell talk about this, the guy that everybody wants to play with. If that's your point guard and your leader, that's a pretty good guy as compared to the guy who, you know, maybe is shoot first or is a little bit more worried about himself than the rest of the team. I mean, Trent's a... The one, the one word that might collectively underscore all of these kids is selflessness. Uh, they all got egos or they wouldn't be there, but they play with a selflessness attitude once they get out on the court. We've got some other things. We're going to go back to this transfer portal waiver conversation that came up last week. Um, but first, I'm going to give you the floor as we say thanks to Ron and the good folks at Cornerstone Tool and Faster. Well, Cornerstone Tool and Faster are a longtime sponsor of our show. They've got locations, and, and they have all of your tool needs. And trust me, I've seen your garage. You have some needs there. It's where all the pros and do-it-yourselfers uh, work, work, do-it-self workers shop. Big box pricing with local service. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. And Tallahassee locations open Saturdays for uh, from 8 a.m. to noon. So you can go out on Saturday, get your stuff done, tip at Clemson's at 2 o'clock. You'll get back in time to watch it. There you go, and that's uh, on my calendar. It's become must-see TV, this Florida State basketball team. I had, I had several people that I had not heard from in, in some cases, a couple of years that texted me after the Monday night game uh, that had been watching it because, I mean, it was a big Monday. Billis was there, and, um, I mean, it, it was a good opportunity for Florida State to showcase, and they showed. I ran into William Floyd unexpectedly on Monday, who we work with on the football broadcast. I said, hey, Barnum, what are you doing? He said, I'm here for the game. I said, so we have reset level where you're rolling in from Orlando to watch FSU play basketball on a Monday night. It's good to be bar none. All right. Transfer portal. As a segue to football because it's, well, it hits basket, hits all the sports, but football the greatest. We talked about this briefly last week. So this escalated quickly to the idea that in April, the D1 council is going to vote to say, yeah, we're going to let people transfer one time. Uh, with a waiver you don't need permission from your school we just you know if you want to transfer you do it and of course coaches are flipping out because it's more recruiting we knew that would come have you given it more thought more concerns the one question that i still have and i've gotten mixed answers to and maybe i'm not asking the right people is a couple of versions of the of the proposal still say that the school that you're at has to release you and what, if any, are the strings associated with you being released from your current school? Now, maybe that's not in there and those reports are erroneous and, and I'm picking up on something. But that's the only remaining question I have. I, as we've talked about, I haven't liked this from the get-go, but the reality is the reality. It's going to happen. And I think the nuance, if there is one relative to that release, is the only remaining stumbling block. And maybe it's been taken care of and I'm misinformed. But it's going to happen, and so there's no sense fighting it. The schools just need to gear up to be prepared to try to take advantage of it. Well, I was talking to somebody uh, about this behind the scenes who would know, and um, they were surprised that this wasn't – that the legislation hasn't been tied to GPA or academic progress because the data shows – that students who transfer during their career, student-athletes, graduate at a lower rate and have lower GPAs and that sort of thing. So in other words, uh, I think that's what they did. But the, 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 there's, you can make a data case. I haven't seen the data specifically that this is not in the best interest of the student-athletes. But, but they didn't even introduce anything to say, well, if you're in good standing or if you're at this level, yes, and if not, no. They just went blanket across the board. And that's because of the environment that we're in. 
if the NCAA had attempted to tie that to anything, shoe size, age, miles from home, color of your hair, they would have just gotten blasted because of all the stuff under the name, image, and likeness that they've they've fumbled on. So, yes, I, I would suspect the data does show that, but that is not an avenue that the NCAA even wants to travel down. We're giving them a free, free one-time, no-strings-attached type of thing would be how I, I think that came well, about. Well, yeah, uh, we'll see how long it takes if they just vote it through and say we got to do this because of the pressure on everything else. Um, so the devil's always in the details. We'll, we'll see where they land on that, but that could come as soon as April. And where that impacts you is every, every Florida state's got guys. Everybody's got guys who right now are going to need a waiver to be eligible this year, if at all. And if they just say in April, you can do this, they're talking about implementing it this year. Yes. And and I think they will. I think it will pass. I think it will be implemented this year. And of course the other backdrop to this is the whole concept of coaches being able to leave the coach that recruited you, the head coach that was going to be there for your years while you're there. And the student athlete doesn't have the same opportunity. And we've seen it with uh, D'Antonio retiring like he did. We're seeing it with the Colorado situation where after the national signing day, they're now looking for a new head coach and, those types of things just never happen. So this is the new reality. This is the new world. I don't like it. I think a lot of us old-timers don't like it, but it is what it is. And so, therefore, you've got to adapt to it. I haven't actually scribbled the math out, but you mentioned Antonio and Harlan Barnett got rehired at Michigan State in the wake of their coaching transition there. So at one point, when, and we'll wrap up on this one, Florida State let Taggart go. If you ended up having to pay buyouts for everybody, you were going to be up to $23 million. Well, Bryles at Arkansas, they paid his full freight. There's nothing to do there. Clements got a new deal that it's basically, I don't know if it's dollar for dollar, but it's more or less a wash. I haven't seen Harlan's numbers, but he was due a million, and assuming he got half that, that saved FSU a half million bucks. And Willie's job at uh, at FAU, you know, that took seven fifty a year off or $3.5 million off. And if he has success, they've got a good team this year. Reserve your comments, say what you want, but what they need is is him to get another job in two years. Anyway, point being, it went from worst case twenty three to now they're down around fourteen or so on that. I think. And and again, you know, spring ball will be coming up. Uh, the spring games coming up in April. Uh, our first opportunity to see the the beginnings of the Norvell um, squad. Uh, but again, everything I've heard, both publicly and privately. Uh, resonates uh, the issues that are being addressed, the things that are being done, um, you know, uh, even anecdotal things about what's allowed in the building and what's not allowed in the building and how you conduct yourself during mat drills or tour of duty drills and that type of thing, you know, all speaking to uh, getting back to the uh, nose to the grindstone, work hard, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see. Keith, safe travels to Clemson this weekend? I'm glad you're not playing Dabo and his team. Exactly. And uh, good luck at Little John. Yes, sir. Keep the nulls rolling. It will be 100% and totally up to me. As it always is. Next <laughs> week when you join us, you will be in uh, South Bend. And uh, hopefully Florida State will still be on a roll because that will be a 9 no, o'clock. I can tell you, I will be indoors, I can assure you, yeah, no based question. on the long-term weather forecast I've looked at. Uh, which is the same from every November 1 to, like, March 20th. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Nulls. Yeah,